Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. There's a way to look at history that focuses on the events themselves. And then there's a way to look at history that focuses on the fallout. In the 4th century BCE, Seleucus, who was one of Alexander the Great's successors, and Chandragupta, who was the first Mauryan emperor in northern India, met for the first time by the banks of the river Indus. And there, they had some kind of military encounter. What kind of military encounter? Well, we don't really know. What we do know is that following the encounter, Greek ambassador Megasthenes was sent to the Indian interior for the first time. And he wrote an ethnography called the Indici, and it sort of described India for a Greek audience based on, you know, personal observation, but also that, you know, there's lots of strange storytelling as well. And this particular text has sort of formed the foundation of Western knowledge of India for generations. And you can just imagine that soldiers, um, British soldiers in the 19th century, took translations of this particular text with them to the northwest of India when they were exploring. So it's, it's had a very long life, and it's a particular moment that, that continues to resonate. This is Dr. Shushma Jansari, Tabor Foundation Curator of South Asia at the British Museum. Hello, I'm Dr. Sushma Jansari. I'm the Table Foundation Creator of South Asia at the British Museum. And when I'm not at work, I work on my podcast, which is very much a passion project, and it is called The Wonder House. We'll get to The Wonder House in a minute, because it's an excellent podcast. But first, as a doctorate at University College London, Jansari studied this ancient encounter, of which only Greek descriptions survive. That moment of um, meeting and connection has been completely transformed. It was transformed during the colonial period by British and Indian scholars. And you have British scholars saying, oh, you know, Seleucus won this war and he defeated this Indian general. Whereas the Indian scholars wrote the the complete opposite. Their take was that Chandragupta defeated this, you know, incoming European and he became a great leader and ruler. So actually, I think because of this uncertainty, I think it tells us a lot about the time we live in right now and how moments have been transformed in the past. So that uncertainty doesn't, it doesn't bother me in, in the sense that we'll never have this, you know, the, this platonic truth because, you know, we're never going to get there. What we can study is the fallout, how people interpret these historic events and how that reflects on the moment they are living in now. And of course, what better way to see in the form of a building, how people interpret historic events than a museum itself. I think this is why the whole idea of decolonizing museums and collections is so important, because I think up till now, we've all been complicit in telling very partial stories under the guise of trying to be neutral. And as we know, that neutrality is quite problematic, and it tells a very, very partial truth or partial version of a story. Museums are a great way to see what historic events meant to the museum builders. And I can think of no clearer example than the British Museum. We have, you know, really incredible exhibitions on, say, you know, when you're thinking of ancient South Asia, they're often on Buddhism or Hinduism or Jainism. So they have a very close religious focus, but what they don't tend to address, very rarely that I've ever seen anyway, is how did those collections arrive here? What was the colonial interest in that material? Um, how has it been interpreted? How has it been presented? 
and also why why in those particular ways how how has that changed over the last you know century or so it it's too easy to present a so-called neutral view of the ancient past and of ancient religions but i i i i don't think that's particularly ethical i think if you're going to be doing that you need to be telling that fuller story in episode 39 of this show we examined hans sloan and the origins of the british museum Funded in large part by his marriage into the enslaving plantocracy of Jamaica and aided by Britain's rising colonial power and global reach, Sloan assembled an encyclopedic collection of specimens and objects from all around the world that became the basis for the world's first public museum, the British Museum, a place where anyone could freely enter to see the glory of the British Empire. I think empire infuses pretty much every aspect of life in the UK, whether we're all aware of it or not. You know, whether it's the names of the streets we walk down, the the museums that were founded, the collections they hold, the structures we still all inhabit. When we actually look around at the museums, most of the museums, I'd say in the UK, you know, they hold the contents of empire. Objects that were collected around the world by colonial officials, by soldiers, by sailors, people working abroad. You you can't disentangle the two. When you are telling a story, you need to be honest and tell the whole story, or at least as much of it as you can possibly share, because otherwise you're telling a very, very partial one that often overlooks the violence of an object's collection and the situation and circumstances it was created, taken, purchased, and brought here to the UK to be held in a museum. Today, Jansari is the first curator of Indian descent of the South Asia collection at the British Museum. In the past, truth be told, I didn't really think about it very much. I think it's only when I look at my curatorial practice and how I approach my role, the collections, who I want to work with and how, I realise that actually there is a difference between what I do and what other people, you know, in a whole range of institutions bring to their role. And at first, I was really uncomfortable about that. I thought, my goodness, you know, is it just because of who I am and what I am? What about, you know, my academic side and, you know, all of that, my you know, skills and knowledge? But actually, I think it's my ability to do my job is it's somehow richer. I, I bring a slightly different perspective to what I do and how I do it. The South Asia collection at the British Museum is so enormous that it can capture the sweep of history of South Asia from the Paleolithic period to the present day. The gallery reopened in 2017, and before that, it was last refurbished in 1992. It, you know, just happens to be the largest gallery in the museum. So, hey, no pressure, and everyone's looking. So try not to fail (laughs) Um, on your first go. Uh, So it it was really tricky. So we started by thinking, well, who actually comes to the museum? And over 70% of our audience comes from outside the UK. And of those people, a huge proportion, they're not very well versed in the history, cultures and religions of South Asia. So how do you present your collections in a way that shares this really incredible part of the world with people who don't know a great deal about it? And so we decided to have a chronothematic kind of approach. So we started with the Paleolithic, which is about one and a half million years ago, and ended at the present day. And the encyclopedic collections at the museum permits us to 
be able to do something like that. As part of that, I sort of worked on the ancient to medieval sections, which is the collections I, I cover, along with the bulk of the anthropological collections and also the textiles. So it's got a mammoth collection that I look after. But as part of that, I was very keen to introduce moments where slightly unexpected stories and people were presented. So, for example, in the main aisle you walk down, one of the first sculptures you encounter is the Muttera Line Capitol, which dates about the first century AD. And it was actually excavated and bequeathed to the museum by a South Asian collector, um, Pugvanal Indraji. And I put a portrait of him on that label, as well as a little bit of text explaining it, because I wanted people to be confronted by South Asians in the South Asia gallery. It's It's not enough to you know, uh, display their culture and their collections and, you know, their history. I think it has to be a shared enterprise. And, you know, in another section, for example, in the Jainism in Western India, the medieval section, I included photographs of the Jain temple from Leicester, which is where I'm from in the UK. I wanted to show that, you know, the sculptures on display, they are just as much part of British culture as it was back then in the medieval period. It's not just some alien religion and alien culture. It's it's our shared culture now. I think it's really important to sort of connect the dots. So you, you do share this sort of broad sweep of history and culture, but then you want to intersperse it with these other really important moments linking you know, who and what you might see around you as you're going about your everyday life in the UK and linking it with, with the past as well. I asked Jansari if she's noticed changes in who visits the gallery and how much time they spend there since the update. I'm very interested to see who's there, how they engage with different displays, how I can sort of tweak them um, to make them more engaging. And I have definitely noticed that there are more South Asians in the gallery space, the South Asia section anyway. This is a really tricky one because I, although you hope that a museum is for everybody, the reality is that, as you say, a lot of people don't feel that the museum is for them. And it's it's terrible because obviously the museum is for everybody. But once again, when you have very neutral displays and people aren't addressed, people aren't consulted, people, you know, you, you aren't working with members of the community. I think it's understandable why they might feel somehow excluded from these spaces. And, you know, we've all had moments where we've been chatting to people and they assume that a museum is not for them. It's somehow seen as a, a very different othering space. And when you see the workforce inside the museum also predominantly white, and there are very few members of you know black and minority ethnic staff in the museums, once again, what sort of message are you trying to share with everybody else? You're saying, hey, come, come to our museum, but you can't work here. You know, it, how, how how do you change that? And I think it's not just one or two tweaks. I think it's a fundamental reimagining of what exactly a museum is and who exactly this museum is for. I'm not sure that we yet have those answers. But what I think is really, really important is that we start having these conversations and we start experimenting. And this is one of the reasons why Jansari started the Wonder House podcast. The podcast, which is completely independent of the British Museum, is a way for Jansari to share the most innovative contemporary approaches to decolonization. And, and so I got in touch with some people whose work I really respect, and I asked them if they were willing to talk about their work, what they learned, what they, what they thought didn't work quite so well. 
and share their stories and experiments with decolonizing. What I love about The Wonder House is being able to listen in on these conversations that might not be happening in museums themselves, but are happening at coffee houses and pubs nearby. And the show explores the scale, too. You hear Jinsari, who works at one of the largest institutions in the world, in conversations with people who might be their museum's only curator. I, I really worry that the decolonizing museum's incredible you know, energy that it has right now, it's quite easy for that to evaporate. Every single uh, movement has its moment. And unless we embed this kind of knowledge um, and approaches, it's, it's going to evaporate. And that, that's one of the things that worries me most. And not just the collections, but also, you know, the, the simple fact that, you know, many of us who work in museums, you're often one of the only one or two black or minority ethnic people in an entire institution. That's not easy. Jansari studies the ancient world. But now she is at the forefront of modern museum interpretation, printing not just the event, but also how the event ripped through history. Remember the story about Seleucus and Chandragupta from the beginning of the episode? The Indian interpretation of that moment has won out. And actually, if you read historical novels, uh, modern comics, if you watch Indian films and Indian TV series... That's exactly the vision of Chandragupta that we have now. And you know what? It's evolving all the time. You know, ideas are being shaped and reshaped almost day by day at the moment. And I think that's really exciting. This episode of Museum Archipelago is brought to you by Pigeon by Ceresis, a real-time intelligent platform that uncovers the power of wayfinding for your museum enabling your visitors to maximize their day at your venue. Using Pigeon, yes, like the navigating bird, the museum's management can gather real-time data for managing space effectively in relation to visitors, while improving their ROI through marketing automation. And using Pigeon, visitors can navigate the maze of a museum with ease, conduct automated and personalized tours based on their interest, RSVP for events, and get more information about the exhibits right in front of them. To find out how Pigeon can help your museum, visit pigeon.cerisis.com slash museums. That's P-I-G-E-O-N dot S-I-R-S-Y-S dot com slash museums. Thanks so much to Pigeon for supporting Museum Archipelago. You can find a full transcript of this episode and links to other episodes at museumarchipelago.com. Museum Archipelago is supported by listeners like you who have joined Club Archipelago on Patreon. If you can't get enough about how museums shape our lives, join now for $2 a month. If this is your first episode, subscribe to the show for free using your favorite podcast player. And if it isn't, leave us a rating or review. And next time, bring a friend. I remember one time I saw somebody just from the corner of my eye looking really, they, it looked as if they're really focusing close on a particular um, textile. I thought, oh my God, what is it? What, you know, what's going on? So I wandered over and actually she had her compact out, was applying her lipstick. So, you know, it's, it's always good to, <laughs> you know, you assume you created this amazing display, but you know what? <laughs> Other people may not necessarily take it that way. <laughs>